0: X-ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jeff Smith from Portland, Oregon. You got something The Local should cover? Please tell us. You can send an email to local at x-ray.fm. Today, back in the day, November 16th, 1871, the NRA, National Rifle Association, was first chartered in the state of New York. The NRA was proposed by Americans in England a few months after the Civil War began in 1861. A letter was sent to President Abraham Lincoln, published in the New York Times. The letter by R.G. Moulton and R.B. Perry recommended forming an organization similar to the British National Rifle Association, which formed a year and a half earlier. The NRA was promoted to national prominence permitted to encourage and organize rifle clubs throughout the United States. Records from after the Civil War showed that American soldiers were in need of rifle training. Union Army records from the Civil War indicated it took 1,000 rifle shots for each Confederate hit. Captain George Wood Wingate, who chartered the NRA, sent emissaries to Canada, the United Kingdom, and Germany to observe their military training programs. The U.S. military then began holding long-range shooting competitions in Creedmoor, Long Island, and began competing with other countries. After the U.S. beat England and Scotland to win the Elko Shield at 1873 in Wimbledon, the Irish rifle team issued a challenge through the New York Herald. The NRA organized a team through a subsidiary amateur rifle club, beat Ireland in the challenge, and was promoted to national prominence. The NRA didn't really get involved in politics until the Prohibition era after a bunch of liquor trafficking stoked gang warfare. And they actually helped shape the National Firearms Act of 1934. And they supported a national registry for machine guns and sawed-off shotguns, but they did oppose handgun restrictions. And they again blocked a national registry and stripped one from the Gun Control Act of 1968 in the aftermath of President John F. Kennedy's assassination. But then in the mid-1970s, a big change happened. A dissident group within the NRA believed the organization was losing the national debate over guns, being too defensive and not political enough, and a big dispute in the 1977 NRA annual convention where the dissidents deposed the old guard. From this point forward, the NRA became more political and more strident in its defense of so-called gun rights which it increasingly defined as nearly absolute. The NRA today claims 5 million dues-paying members and 14 million people identify with the group. In 2017, three-quarters of all U.S. murders involved a firearm, a little under 15,000 murders out of just under 20,000 murders that year, and also about half the suicides. In 2016, the U.S. gun rate death was 10.6 per 100,000. Canada, 2.1. Australia, 1.0. France, 2.7. Germany, under 1. And Spain, 0.6. Fewer than El Salvador, though. Today we will have your Quick Six news headlines. We'll also have an interview with Amanda Bullock, Director of Public Programs at Literary Arts. The Portland Book Festival is happening right now. X Ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick Six local rundown. Portland Police Bureau audit team report says the Portland police used force over 2,300 times in the first three months of the 2020 protests. So between January of 2016 and January of 2020, those four years, the police bureau reported 778 uses of force in response to various protests. From April 1st to June 30th of the 2020 protests, the police bureau used force 2,378 times. That's triple the use of force of four years in just three months. This period saw the largest attendance of protesters gathering downtown outside the Justice Center, crowds as large as 10,000 back in June. The police bureau audit team presented the breakdown of types of force to the bureau's training advisory council last Wednesday. It's the first time these numbers were made available to the public. Crowd control force was omitted from the police bureau's most recent quarterly use of force reports. Police bureau spokesmen claimed the volume of reports meant the system could not accurately process all of them. But that omission put the police bureau out of compliance with the Department of Justice settlement agreement. The report breaks down types of force used in the first 32 days of protests, including 976 firings of various types of less lethal munitions, 97 reported baton attacks, 147 tackles to the ground, and 203 uses of CS gas. Data was reported by officers. When the amount of force reported was vague or estimated, they rounded down. For example, if an officer claimed to push multiple people to the ground, it was counted as one push. During the same time period, police made 327 arrests related to the protests. Since then, protest related arrests have grown to 1,026.
1: Here's your daily dose of data. On Sunday, the Oregon Health Authority announced 868 new cases of COVID. Two deaths were reported in the state. The state death toll is now 761. Oregon's case total has reached 56,880. After this weekend's spike, Governor Brown has ordered a two-week freeze. Saturday saw nearly 1,100 new cases in Oregon and six deaths, a continuation of a recent spike. In response to the spike, Brown ordered a freeze starting on Wednesday. Health experts are concerned about the cold weather and the incoming holiday and are warning people to stay home to avoid spreading the virus outside of their bubbles. The freeze restricts restaurants to takeout service, closes gyms, and limits store capacity to 75 percent. Health experts are concerned about the capacity of Oregon hospitals, claiming that they may become overwhelmed if current trends continue.
0: Tootie Smith, the Republican chair of the Clackamas County Board of Commissioners, posted the following to Facebook on Saturday. My family will celebrate Thanksgiving with as many friends and family as I can find. Governor Brown is wrong to order otherwise. Her post got more than a 1,000 comments by Sunday afternoon, some viewers enthusiastically supporting her stance, some telling her to ignore the governor, live your life, she ain't the boss of us. Another said, I'm a nurse. Your ignorance in the face of a global pandemic is heartbreaking. You would put your family, friends, community, health care providers, and first responders in harm's way? Who raised you? Wolves? New infections have more than doubled. Hospitalizations are up 56% in two weeks. Region 1, which includes the entire Portland metro area, intensive care units are 89% full. Other hospital beds are 93% capacity, according to the health authority. Consumer spending has been trending upwards, but the new spike in COVID cases might curb that. Spending in Oregon was hurt by both the pandemic and the September wildfires. At the beginning of the pandemic, consumer spending dropped by about 34%. By early October, however, spending was back to a near normal level. While 1 in 10 retail workers lost their job within the first month of the pandemic, state employment data says that almost all of those jobs have been resumed. Federal relief payments help prevent a more severe recession. Grocery sales are up 24 percent. General retail is up about 12 percent. Restaurants are still seeing a decline at 59 percent. The data from the last week of October shows another dip in spending, which might be connected to the spike in COVID cases. New statewide restrictions have ordered retailers to limit capacity to 75 percent. And there are concerns that this will damage businesses as the holiday season approaches. What will Black Friday in 2020 mean?
1: The missing Nightmare Elk statue resurfaced at a Proud Boys rally in Salem on Saturday. The Nightmare Elk statue was erected in downtown Portland this summer by Black Lives Matter protesters to replace the elk statue that had been taken down. Activists claimed that the new statue served as a memorial to victims of police brutality. In October, the new elk statue went missing. The Proud Boys Twitter claimed responsibility and posted several pictures of the statue. On Saturday, dozens gathered outside of the state capitol in support of Donald Trump. They brought the Nightmare Elk with them. The statue has received a new paint job, which includes an American flag painted on the head and the words Trump 2020 along its side. Protesters outside of the Capitol showed their support for the loser of the 2020 election. They also chanted Lock Her Up, expressing their dissatisfaction with new pandemic restrictions.
0: Oregon State Police are on alert after a frenzy of poaching. Police are hoping for public cooperation and searching for the culprits in the series of poachings. One incident included the de- Wow, this makes me mad. One incident included the decapitation of a black bear. What kind of d- sorry. The bear's body was found October 15th west of Eugene. Police also said that multiple deer and elk bodies have been discovered around the same time. Oregon State Police Senior Trooper Josh Walcott said this is the worst I've ever seen. Every day is a new report. According to the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, there are legal ways to harvest deer and bear meat for food in the state. If you got questions about poaching, you're asked to contact the tip line 1-800-452-7888. Peter Courtney has again been nominated to lead the Oregon Senate as its president in 2021 and 2022. He's Oregon's longest-serving legislator at 36 years. Democrats are going to continue to lead Republicans 18 to 12. A Republican won a coastal seat vacated by a Democrat, but a Democrat narrowly unseated an appointed Republican in the Salem area by just 505 votes. That's greater than the margin needed to trigger an automatic recount. This would be Peter Courtney's 10th two-year term as Senate president, also a record. Previous record was four terms, that's eight years. Other Democratic Senate leadership positions, James Manning was named president pro tem designate, Rob Wagner staying the majority leader, Michael Dembro and Kate Lieber assistant majority leaders, and Sarah Gelser from Corvallis, the majority whip. What do these things do? Well, the Senate president, that's really powerful. It gets to determine who sits on what committees and by that mechanism can control what gets to the floor. The majority leader, Rob Wagner, he runs the campaign arm, also gets staff, is the second most powerful position within the caucus. The president pro tem, they can preside, and they preside when the president is away. What does the whip do? The whip counts the votes. The whip communicates with leadership what bills have enough votes to pass and communicates with members to gather that tally. The whip can also be used by leadership to make sure there are enough votes to pass priorities.
1: And finally, good news is the Haymarket Poll Collective has received $600,000 to help out BIPOC sex workers in Portland. Just like other live entertainment industries, the sex work field has been hit hard by the pandemic. Unlike other industries, however, strip clubs and other venues for sex workers were banned from receiving Small Business Administration loans. A stipulation excluded offering loans to businesses whose services were of a quote prurient sexual nature. Recently, the Oregon Health Authority awarded nearly $600,000 to the Haymarket Poll Collective. The HMPC is a collective of sex workers working to advocate for BIPOC sex workers. The money will go towards 200 relief and wellness kits, which include COVID and STI test kits, as well as grocery and transportation gift cards. The grant also allows for 74 individual micro grants to assist with rental and utility relief. Kat Hollis, the collective's founder, said about sex workers, quote, "'These people are so resilient and so independent, It has been hard to find out that people even need help. This is one of the first opportunities that's been directed at this specific community, so we're one of the first to measure the need. Applications close on November 15th, and over 1,400 applications have already been submitted. The HMPC is raising additional funds through its website at haymarketpoll.com.
0: And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown.
1: X-Ray. Up next, we have Amanda Bullock, the Director of Public Programs at Literary Arts, speaking with Julia Oppenheimer. She'll be sharing highlights and details about the virtual Portland Book Festival that's happening through November 21st. More information can be found at literary-arts.org. Here are Amanda and Julia.
2: I am about to be joined now by Amanda Bullock. Amanda is the director of public programs at Literary Arts, an organization focused on engaging readers and writers in Portland. Literary Arts offers writing workshops, youth engagement programs, and events like the Portland Book Festival, which started last week and is continuing through November 21st. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. How are you today, Julia? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good, you know. You are right in the throes of the Portland Book Festival uh, which in years past has been like a long weekend. This year you're doing two weeks. Tell us a little bit about how the virtual festival is going.
3: Yeah, it's actually, it's going really well. Um, one of the actually great pleasures for me is when it's a one-day event. Um, because of my job, I don't actually get to see any of the events that I've programmed, but I've gotten to see all of them this time. So uh, oh, wow. it's it's been really fun, and it's been a really wide variety of discussion. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. So what are some of your favorites so far or some highlights? You don't have to tell me. Yeah,
3: for sure. Um, We had last night, we had the writer, Ann Helen Peterson, who writes the newsletter culture study and has a new book about um, millennials and burnout. And Yvette Dion, who's editor in chief of bitch magazine and has a book about um, black women's fight for the vote. Um, And they talked about burnout and the ballot, which I think a lot of us are feeling both of those things right now. And it was a, they're friendly and it was like a really rich discussion and, and really enjoyable. So that is happens to be the most recent thing so that's on my mind, but it was a really good one. And all of the events that have already happened will be available in a video library on the festival streaming site. So if people are just finding out about it now and they miss something, it's right there for them to watch.
1: Oh,
2: that's so cool! So is that going to be up like forever, or just for? Um, I like
3: think a little for while. at least a month or so. We're okay. we're figuring out how long, but we're, we we want to give people time to. I know everybody's dealing with very different things in their individual lives right now. So we want to make sure people have time to catch everything.
2: So you guys usually do this like really cool dynamic weekend long event downtown. I've been to it several times. Um, and it's, you know, big auditoriums full of people listening to authors and, and celebrities in the literary world. Um, this year, obviously coronavirus, how did you, how did you decide to organize it online and make it Two weeks long. How did that process go?
3: Yeah. So we, when it became clear that we wouldn't be able to gather in person, there's usually nine thousand people that come to the festival, and it was clear, like early in the summer, that that wasn't going to be possible. So we started thinking about what to do. We never, never thought about canceling it. We knew that it was important to hold this space, both for the authors we're featuring and for the attendees who are, are coming to hear this discussion and. I wanted to have a really similar number of writers. We have about a hundred authors featured in the festival
1: and I didn't think
3: anyone was going to want to sit in front of their computer for the length of time that um, the normal festival is. Uh, You know, we're all on our computers even more these days for a lot of people. So to have the same number of authors and to have events non-concurrent, we stretched it out over this two and a half week period. Um, Again, just trying to adapt to the times and kind of, where people are at
2: yeah so how um did you already have like the authors line kind of already lined up before like when you were planning I'm sure you started out planning as a in-person event did you already have all these I authors yeah lined up yeah and ready I started
3: inviting and- authors as early as January so um, we did have about a third of the authors already confirmed and there were some invites out. We didn't resend anything. We, we asked everybody who we'd already confirmed if they wanted to come along to virtual and, and everyone said yes. Um, and then we did issue some invites that, that we knew would be virtual. So it's, been, it's always a mix, but it's an even more mix of expectations, I guess, this year.
2: Do you feel like you were able to get some authors this year being virtual that you might not have been able to get in person in Portland?
3: Yeah, I think so. You know, we have um, we have a couple authors who are broadcasting from Canada, including Margaret Atwood, who's going to be in the festival next week, and Devon from Tamavansa, who was in our opening event. Um, some other folks who I think um, either would be off their book tour. A lot of times we're trying to time it right, where we're catching people at this kind of moment where they're available to be traveling. So I do think it really opened up some opportunities for people who might not have just come here. The festival is also like... It has to be the day that it is. So if someone can't come that exact day, then that's that's just the end of the conversation. But since now we're multiple days, it, it gives us some flexibility too.
2: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. There's. It looks to me like there's about like four or five events every day.
3: Yeah. There's um, typically four events a day. We have Saturdays are kids events, so those look pretty stacked. We have we have more events on on Saturdays. Um, oh, how so, yeah.
2: cool! So you can. Sit your kid in front of the computer on a Saturday And have it be fun and educational And literary related
3: Yes, yes, hopefully And then all the picture book story times Which I actually highly recommend for adults To right now, like watching a funny story time Or like doing an art activity Is really, really fun for me And I am not a child and have no children <laughs> it's So no shame for anybody who yeah. wants to dive into <laughs> that imagine. picture book library <laughs>
2: Yeah um, So What are some of the upcoming events That you're really excited for?
3: Yeah, um we have an event tomorrow night with two novelists, Rumaan Alam, who wrote a book called Leave the World Behind, and Jonathan Lethem, um, who he's, I think his most famous book is probably Motherless Brooklyn, um, but his new book is The Arrest, and they're both very different, but kind of like post-apocalyptic looks. Um, and so I'm really excited about their discussion and that they'll be talking directly with each other. And then on Monday, I, of course, love every event, but um, Monday evening, we have the poet Claudia Rankin, um, who wrote Citizen, and her new book is called Just Us, and then she'll be in conversation with Jericho Brown, who's a really, a really amazing poet as well, and that event's totally free, and that's at five o'clock, and um, I think that that'll be a great discussion.
2: Cool. It looks like most of the events are free. You just have a couple that are, are they're paid or they're donation. Can you explain that?
3: Yeah, most of them are free. Um, we had one last week with Jess Walter that required you just to purchase the book, nothing on top of the book. And then we have an event with Margaret Atwood and Karen Russell next Tuesday, and you're just required to purchase Margaret's new poetry book from Powell's to attend that. And then we have Isabel Wilkerson, um, who wrote The Warmth of Other Suns, and her new book is Cast, and she's in conversation um, with Viet Thanh Nguyen, who wrote The Sympathizer. That's on Thursday, and that also requires you to buy a book in order to attend but if you can't go the exact time buying the book will also get you access to the replay so there's a link you do have to buy it at the specific link to powell's on our site um and yeah just those two that's there's 50 free events so there there should be still a lot yeah
2: do you think that you will stick with a virtual format or a partially virtual format once the once we're back allowed to not socially distance anymore
3: I don't know we de- I definitely won't be all virtual when it's safe to be in person because you do miss a lot like the you know a big part of the festival is, is people making connections and community and like that does happen online but not in the same way like you don't notice like the same person is going to the same events as you you don't run into your friends on the clock totally. for the authors they're not getting to see each other in the green room and at the party and so I do think that it is important to gather people in person when it is safe to do so. Um, But I do think that virtual has opened up access to a lot of people who, for whatever reason, the in-person festival doesn't work for them. So I am curious about a hybrid model that kind of would keep that new access that's been opened up, but also bring back the the kind of in-person connections that the in-person festival offers.
2: Yeah, I know one of my favorite things from years past is discovering new authors that i didn't know about and being able to like see them in person see their talk and then think oh i should buy that book because that was a really great talk perfect Um, that's like my goal of the festival is to um trick
3: people into liking new things
2: (laughs) (laughs) i've got to say i've i i saw diana nyad talking to cheryl strade what was that two two or three years ago and uh, I have read Diana's Nyad book, n- n- her book, and then sent it to so many people because she's so inspirational. And I didn't even really know who she was before that. So, yeah. That was, she did port- like her
3: exercise podcast. routine right like, yeah she middle. did it on
2: stage yeah <laughs> she showed she us like, all of her burpees and everything
3: <laughs> yeah if you did that online you'd like lose the sound like that's like something that really could only happen in person I think spontaneously I, yeah,
2: I agree that was so. such a such a cool experience and being in that waiting in line in the rain to go in and find a seat in the balcony and yeah get to watch her conversation was something very special so I look forward well, I, to in thank person.
3: you well I will say with the online one like in terms of like that access the barriers are even lower to try new things because it's totally free you know you can watch it on your own time it's I do encourage people to try to attend live if they can but and if you like this sounds kind of weird but like if it's not your thing then just turn it off it's right. fine. you don't have to like sneak out of the auditorium like, <laughs> you don't have to know. wait
2: in the rain for two hours <laughs> yeah. to get a good seat at the auditorium you can just switch it off if it's not your thing that that's yeah a, a great yeah, plug so try something new Do you have any uh, reading recommendations for us? Oh, my gosh.
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, everything, basically. I try to read as many books on the festival as I can. Um, I think, though, I have heard from a lot of people that they've had trouble, understandably, had trouble focusing right now. And so two shorter books that I really loved that came out this year that I'll shout out that are coming up next week are um, Hex by Rebecca Dynasty Knight and Luster by Raven Milani. Which are both like really short, sharp, dark, funny stories, and I think that that'll be a really great conversation. And if you've had, if you've had trouble focusing on books, that might be a good way back in for you.
2: Short, sharp, funny, and dark sounds kind of like what we all need a little bit of right now.
3: Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little too on the nose for our absurd times, but I I enjoyed them a lot.
2: So. Amanda, how do people uh, how do people access the festival? What's your What's your website? Yeah, it's literary
3: org. If you go to backslash PBS, Portland Book Festival, PBS, you'll get all the information that you need there.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for putting on the festival virtually this year so we can still get our love from our favorite authors. Great. Thank you so much, Julia. This was great to talk to you. You too. Have a great day. Thanks. You too.
0: Thanks to Amanda for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving a five-star review. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow.